0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Definitely love to get you the link to watch that video and um, I'll try to cover some of the key points of it. But we are going to the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom is made up of four countries and they've sort of banded together into one throughout the thousands of years of their history but it's Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, and Wales. Um, So we'll be working with a team over there, a team of church planners. There's a lot that goes into all that we do as part of a church planner. You understand there's many ways you endeavor to reach people, but that's really the thrust is to plant churches and to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about the United Kingdom, we think about a place that has a rich Christian heritage. You think of a place that really led the world in sending out missionaries all around the world, over the course of time, this land that was really bright for the gospel has begun to be dim. We know that God always has his remnant, and there is a remnant of people still strong in the United Kingdom, but it is nowhere near what it used to be. The United Kingdom was really the birthplace of the Sunday school movement. Robert Rakes had a heart and a desire to reach young people with things that they should be learning in school, but didn't have an opportunity to, but also a heart to reach them with the gospel. And as he tried to do this, it really took off all throughout the United Kingdom and all throughout the world. And hundreds of thousands and even millions of people have been reached through the Sunday school movement. Unfortunately, that movement began to be neglected in the United Kingdom. People began to not see the need to reach the next generation. We know if we neglect the next generation, eventually they are the generation that's supposed to be there in the church. And they're nowhere where they used to be. We read a statistic of 18 to 24-year-olds in the United Kingdom, 75% of them say they're non-religious or they don't believe in God, they don't go to church, they're atheists. 50% of their parents say the same thing. So you see how the trend is continuing. With a great Christian heritage, and many people would say, oh, I'm I'm Christian because my great-great-grandparents were Christian or my grandparents were Christian, but really, They're non-religious. They don't go to church. They don't believe the Bible. We've talked to people in the United Kingdom, and we're giving them the gospel, and we tell them about the Word of God, and they say, oh, did you write that? And we we talked before um, the service tonight at the dinner about how sometimes people think the United Kingdom has had the gospel twice, and in a sense, their country has, um, and they definitely need it again, but the people there are just as lost, and they're just as far away from the Lord Jesus Christ as, as anywhere else in the entire world. And we don't go to a place because it's the neediest place, because everywhere in the world is needy, but we go where God has called us. Amen. My wife and I, were not the answer to the United Kingdom, but we know who is. God is the answer to the United Kingdom. Amen. One thing we like to do, and we've been able to spend about four months apiece at separate times in the United Kingdom, working with a church planning ministry there. We're actually both able to see the time we were there, brand new churches get started. I remember the joy of just watching one person come in and so excited, and we would do all the things we could to to invite people, to reach people. But one thing we like to do in the ministry over there, and this is something that happened maybe about a hundred years ago. Remember that Sunday school movement I mentioned? They used to have parades through the streets of Sunday school children to show people that God was working in their lives, that the gospel was still going forth, and that that died out with the Sunday school movement. But one thing we do is we bring hundreds of children from all over the United Kingdom and pray them through the streets of Birmingham a place that is largely godless and and does not believe in God. And we show them that God is still working in the United Kingdom, that children are still being reached, that there's a next generation, that there's something, there's a future of Christianity in the United Kingdom. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the United Kingdom. The number one name for baby boys is Muhammad. And so many English people who are not Christians look at that and they begin to notice that the open immigration has given really a prevalence of Islam and immigrants all over and they've begun to notice that they're overrun in many ways. But as Christians, we look at it as a great opportunity. We have a wonderful opportunity to reach these people, these men and women from Middle Eastern countries. We may not be able to get in to openly preach the gospel, but we can reach them in the United Kingdom where God has brought them and they can then reach their people for Christ. One thing we do, um, one way avenue to reach the people in the United Kingdom is to teach them English. Many immigrants come in And Muslim men will let their wives come to learn English, but they won't let them come to the church service or anything about the church. So when they come to learn English, we teach them the gospel, we teach them how to speak British English and all these different things. And in turn, we get to work with these ladies that we would never have an opportunity to have any other way. And so there's many, many things that we're doing in the United Kingdom to reach the people, but the main thrust of it all is to preach the gospel. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8. Ephesians 3 and verse number 8, and this is a verse the Lord really used to confirm in my life his call upon us to go to the United Kingdom. It seems many times when God calls us to do something, sometimes we place objections. We say, God, I can't do this because of this, or I'd rather go somewhere else, or whatever it may be. And finally, I had my objections. Finally, the Lord broke down the final objection using this verse. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 8 says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, many times we feel the same. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? It's our heart desire as we go to the United Kingdom, as we're even here on deputation, to preach those unsearchable riches of Christ. People are confused about all the things that are going on in the world right now. They're confused about coronavirus and riots and government overreach and all these different things. They're confused and they're uncertain. And they think, I need these earthly riches, I need the things of this earth. But what they really need are the unsearchable riches of of christ the uk is a very needy place right here is a very needy place so i challenge you and i would hope you would challenge us and keep us in your prayers that we would do all that we can where god has placed you right now where he's called you to go to preach those unsearchable riches of christ many other things that we are going to be doing in the united kingdom in many different ways so if you have any questions you can see my wife afterwards she has all the answers at least that's what she says Um, But feel free to ask us. We don't want to leave you with any questions or anything that you're just wondering about the United Kingdom. Um, They do speak English. That's a question that some people get, but it is a little bit different. Winston Churchill said, we're two nations divided by a common language. So we speak the same language, but it's a a little bit different. But it's a wonderful place, but a very needy people for the gospel. And God has called us to plant churches over there with a great Christian heritage. Many of the church buildings that used to preach the gospel are actually closed now there's a wonderful opportunity for people to actually give it to us to preach the gospel and once again so they hand us the keys to their building if you go to london and many of the cities around the united kingdom you'll see church buildings that once preached the gospel they're now mosques and they're pubs and they're places of nightlife and shops and all these different things but it's a wonderful opportunity as christians to go in and reignite those fires and see what god can do and we truly believe that the greatest days for the united kingdom have not occurred but they lie ahead And we know that God is doing amazing things in that place through His Word and through the preaching of His Word. We'll jump into the message tonight and we'll begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is really bearing his heart to the Corinthian people. He's telling them that His ministry has not always been easy, but that His motivation, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been far greater than any trial. Look with me in verse number 8. It says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Maybe you could say, like the Apostle Paul, we're troubled on every side. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're cast down. But guess what? You are not destroyed. You are not overwhelmed. God is still in control. And the Apostle Paul says, the things that I faced, the things that I'm facing in this world, they're not easy. But God is still in control. Skip with me down to verse number 15. He really sums up this chapter in verse number 15 through 18. Verse number 15, he says, For all things, all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. You may ask me, Brother Josiah, how can all things be for my sakes? How can the afflictions, the trials, how can the things that I'm facing be for my good? Well, you see, what God does in those middle of those things is that He heaps His grace upon you. And when people see how God leads you through the midst of an affliction, they can only give Him glory. You can only give Him glory. You see, these trials and these afflictions that we face in this life are for the glory of God. And when people see how you react, when people see how you react to trials and afflictions, they give God the glory. Or maybe you face these afflictions and trials in your own strength. And you get the glory. We know that God should get the glory from all these things. Verse number 16 says, For which cause we faint not? I don't know about you, but there's times in my Christian life when I feel like I'm exhausted. I begin to faint. And those times have always, there's always one thing that comes that makes those things come into my life. It's when I get my eyes off eternity and when I get my eyes focused on temporary things, the things of this earth. In this day in which we live, it's very uncertain times. I've met many Christians who are keeping their eyes focused on eternity. They're keeping their eyes focused on the things of God. But I've met others who have gotten their eyes on the world, the uncertainty, the things that they're facing. And when they have done that, they become exhausted. They begin to faint. A.W. Tozer said this, We must meet the uncertainties of this present world, and it's truly, it's an uncertain time, with the certainties of the world to come. I'm grateful that, as Christians, we have a settled eternity with our God. We'll spend all of eternity with Him. What a wonderful thing that it is to know that no matter what is happening here on this earth, that our eternity is sure, our eternity is settled. But many times we get our eyes focused on temporary things rather than the eternal, and we faint. The Apostle Paul, in verse number 16 through 18, he gives three eternal perspectives, to help Christians not to faint. Verse number 16, For which cause we faint not, then he gives the first eternal perspective. He says, But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. If you can only focus on one thing throughout this message and what we're trying to glean from the Word of God, remember this, eternity, eternity, that eternal focus. We read this in verse number 16. It says, Though our outward man perish, And maybe you've noticed that your body doesn't work like it used to. Those joints, they just don't work like they used to. Or maybe like me, you've gained some quarantine weight. Whatever it may be, your outward man is perishing. This physical man is perishing. I was skinny like you guys once. I could play basketball, that kind of stuff. But your body, it just begins to perish. And we know that as you age, your body just doesn't act like it used to. What a sad thing that would be if we ended there. If that was the only hope, just this outward man, this perishing that we man that we have. But guess what? We know that there's an inward man. This inward man is a spiritual man, a connection with God. And this inward man is eternal. This inward man could be the strongest he's ever been on the day that your outward man perishes, the day that your outward man dies. Maybe you've known some older Christians. I always think of a a couple when I think about this passage. And I think of this couple, and they've they've done a lot for Christ. They were missionaries for many years. And their outward man, their body, it's not what it used to be. They can barely walk into church, whereas they used to be in great physical shape. But there's something about them. There's something strong about them. And there were many times where I couldn't put my finger on it. But I realized it was this. Their inward man had been strengthened. Their inward man had been renewed, had been made strong again with new vigor and new strength. And what a wonderful thing that it is to see that as Christians, as they age, they could be strong inside. This inward man can be strong. This connection with God can be stronger than it's ever been. But so many times we neglect the inward man because we're focused on the outward man. So where do we get this inward man renewal? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But verse number 28 says this, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, "...that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary." The ones that you expect to have the most strength, even they will be weary. "...and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord..." Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. If you read this quickly without focusing on the entirety of Scripture, you think, oh great, I'm gonna get this outward man's strength that I so desperately need. I'm gonna get the strength I need to do all these things. And indeed, God sometimes does give us that miraculous strength, and he uses us in mighty ways. But what this is talking about is that the inward man's strength that can only come from God. There's only one source for this inward man's strength, and that source is God. So how do we get it? We get it by waiting on God, running to Him, seeking Him in His Word. And waiting on God is not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs. It's learning to live in obedience to Him. And while we're waiting on God, as we're going into Scripture, and as we're obeying Him, as we're learning how to wait on God, He gives us that strength that we so desperately need, that inward man strength. I'm reminded of a story that I heard about a beautiful float in the Rose Festival parade. It was the most beautiful. It had won awards for being one of the best floats and most beautifully decorated. And as this float was going along, it was about the middle of the parade route. All of a sudden, it began to sputter, sputter, sputter. Finally, it stopped. It'd run out of gas. All the floats ahead of it continued on. All the floats behind it were still stuck. The interesting thing about this beautiful float was it was the float of the Standard Oil Company, or the ones who manufactured the gasoline. So if there's any float that should have had access to all the gasoline that it could have possibly needed, it was this one. The beautiful decorations did nothing that day because it was missing out on what it truly needed. There's many Christians who live their life in the same way. You have access to all the strength of God. You have access to all the power of God. All the inward man's strength that you could ever need But you deny the power that God is willing to give you. You say, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm not going to wait on God. I'm going to run around and do all these things that I could do in my own strength. And eventually you're going to sputter, sputter, and you're going to stop. You're going to faint. You're going to become exhausted in the Christian life. So we see that this inward man renewal can only come from one source, and it's God. But how often do we need this inward man renewal? Turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4 and the end of verse number 16, it says, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. This inward man renewal is a day-by-day day process. My wife's been trying to run some as we go around, and she's been trying to exercise. I started for a couple days, and I stopped. I said, eh, "It's not for me. But she's been trying to exercise and stay in shape. But what if she ran hard for three days? She likes to do five or six miles. It's crazy. What if she ran as hard as she could for three days and just was getting in shape, and then the next three days, I come along and say, let's, let's just take it easy. Let's eat ice cream for these three days and, you know, just enjoy ourselves a little bit. Would she really be making any progress on her, her exercise and staying in shape? Not really. She'd lose most of what she had gained. And that's how we try to live our Christian life. We say, oh, I'm going to get strong for church or I'm going to stay in the work for a few days or I'm going to do all these things that I know I ought to be doing to stay strong spiritually for three days. And then the next 3 I'll live how I want to live. But that's not how it works. This inward man renewing is a day-by-day process, seeking the Lord and waiting on Him day by day. You see, God doesn't give us abundance of strength for every trial that we're going to face in our life. He gives us the strength that we need at the moment we need it as we're taking the steps forward in obedience to Him. We see that God wants to give you this strength. God is the source of all the strength. But are you coming to Him day by day, seeking that inward man renewal? This is a continual, daily process. So the Apostle Paul gave the first eternal perspective is, because our inward man is eternal, we faint not. What an encouragement that it is, that even though our outward man is perishing, this inward man is eternal. But next he continues on and says, because our affliction works for us in eternity, we faint not. Verse number 17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I don't know about you, but when I read light affliction, I think my affliction's not light. The things that I've faced, the trials that I've faced, they're not light. But think about who's writing this, the Apostle Paul. The things that he's faced in his life. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He had literally nothing, all these things for the cause of Christ. He had faced all of these things for the sake of the gospel. So if anyone could say, light affliction, and still mean it with the almost kindness and respect and empathy, it was the Apostle Paul. He says, for a light affliction. But how could he say that? How could he say that the things he's faced, being beaten and torn apart for Christ, how could he say those things were light? They don't seem light at all. How can we say the things that are in our life are light? They don't seem light at all. They seem hard. They seem challenging. But it's in view of eternity that these things are light. Look with me. It says, For a light affliction, which is but for a moment. When you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like a moment. It feels like eternity. It's the hardest thing you've ever faced. The most challenging thing that you've ever faced. But in light of eternity, it is but for a moment. And it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see the afflictions that you face, the hard things that you face, they are working in your life to produce glory in God and glory for God. What a wonderful thing that is. The Apostle Paul was really a master of using images and illustrations to show us what he meant. When he says this word weight here, it brings to mind the image of a scale. You can think of one of those old-timey ones with the two sides. And on one side, think of it with me, all the afflictions you've ever faced. The trials, the testings, the hardest things you faced. And they're just heaped one after another on that side of the scale. It's so high you never think that it's going to come back off the ground. This pile is so high on this scale. And just for good measure, you take your thumb and you press down on this side of the scale. You said there's no way it's ever going to come up. But God, in His mercy, brings a dump truckload of grace in His glory, and there's no comparison between the two. You see that God is lifting this side of the scale. You say there's no way it could ever get off the ground. But God is using those things to work in your life for His good and for His glory. But how do those things come about in our life? Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we see how God uses a storm in our life and in the lives of others. Luke chapter 8 is a passage of scripture that's really captured my mind and my heart in recent days. Verse number 22 of Luke 8 says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he, Jesus, went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake, and they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. This was a real storm in their life. They were truly in jeopardy. They came to the master and said, Master, we're going to die. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? All the questions he could have asked. I wish we could spend more time here. But where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered. And if you read it quickly, you think they're afraid of the storm. They're afraid of the things that they're facing, the affliction, the trial that they've just been through. But really what they're afraid of, this word means they marveled at the Master. They marveled at His power to calm the storm. And you see, when God brings you through the other side of the storm, what happens? You have a greater view of God. You've seen God work in your life in a powerful way. You've seen God's glory accomplished in your life because of the storm that you've been through, and you have a greater view of God. And the next time you come to an affliction, you say, God brought me through the last one. Yeah. And even though this is that I know that God will bring me through yet again. And so that works in your life to give you a greater view of God. And if you stop there, it's, a, it's wonderful. Let's continue on and see who is on the other side of the storm, the other side of the sea. Verse number 26 says, and they arrived at the country of the gatherings, which is over against Galilee. And he, when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. This man was possessed of devils. He was, he was wild. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. We see that in verse number 29, Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes I had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Look with me in verse number 33. After the command of Jesus, then went the devils out of the man and entered in the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Look with me in verse number 38. It says, Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. Speaking of Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And on the other side of your storm, The middle of the storm, God's working in your life. But on the other side, there is a man who needs Jesus. There is someone who needs Jesus on the other side of the storm. And if you turn back in the middle of the storm, if you say, it's too much, I want to go back, I don't want to face these things, the man on the other side is not going to meet Jesus. And that man so desperately needs Jesus. He needs to be healed. And he needs Jesus in his life. You see that what God does in the middle of the storm is he gives you a greater view of God. But also on the other side, he gives you an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, the one who brought you through the middle of the storm. And On the other side, there's a man who needs Jesus. Don't neglect the man who needs Jesus. Don't turn back in the middle of the storm, but continue on knowing that God will use what you learn in the middle of the storm. Look with me at the last thing that the Apostle Paul tells us. Verse number 18, he says, Because unseen things are eternal, we faint not. Verse number 18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It says there's things in this life that are temporal. They're temporary. They're temporary things. If you look around this night, nothing here that we can see will last for eternity. Nothing here that we can behold will last for all of eternity. It's all temporary. It's going to be gone. Hold up your hand, the flesh on your hand, that physical, outward man. It's temporary. It's temporal. But there are things that will last for all of eternity. They are the unseen things, the things of the Word of God, the souls of men being saved. Those are the eternal things, the things that will matter for all of eternity. And all the things that you've gained in this life, all the things, the treasures that you've gained, the temporary things, that will be gone. But the eternal things, the things that truly matter, the unseen things will last. For all of eternity. We must choose to look at eternal things and we must forsake temporary things. As we've gone around on deputation, and even before that we were traveling a lot for for different reasons, and we've checked into many hotels. And as we checked in the hotels, usually they have some kind of quirky decoration, something that's just a little, you know, it's a little funny. As long as it's got a comfy bed and a clean room, it's it's all been good. But they they're usually not decorated too nice. Now my wife, she likes to decorate. We haven't had a house or a place for her to decorate for a little while now, and so she would love to decorate. And so, what if she came to this hotel room and said, "Man, I just I don't like the decorations. They're just they're not my style." She so she succumbs to me and says, "Hey, let's spend you know thousand dollars. Let's get some decorations. Just make this place look beautiful. Gets a new mirror, gets new bedding, gets new pictures, all the things that would make it just look perfect the way that she knows to do. What if she decorated this place so beautifully?" and then we check out the next morning. But that's how we live our life on this earth. We decorate the things of this earth, the temporary things, the things that will not matter. We spend so much time, so much energy, so much effort, so much money on the things of this earth, the temporary things, and we neglect the eternal, the things that will last forever. Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we we can glean a lot from this passage of Scripture as well, but verse number 14 reminds us how quick our life is. James 4:14, 4, it says, "Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor, just a moment, that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We have so little time on this earth, but we spend so much of our time focused on the temporary things rather than the eternal. We know that our Lord had an eternal perspective. Turn with me to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. In verse number 57, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. What a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful thing for him to say. Would that we would all say that. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He reminds us, man, I have an eternal purpose here on this earth. I'm not focused on the temporary things. I have an eternal purpose. Verse number 59, and he said in another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Once again, not a bad thing. And Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You see, these people, they had their priorities wrong. They were focused on the earthly things. And Jesus was reminding them that in his ministry here on this earth, and it now even now, there's the unseen things that are eternal. These are the things that will matter. Verse number 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He wanted to say farewell. And Jesus reminded him once again, There's an eternal purpose that I have here on this earth that Jesus has. And he's still working that eternal purpose in our lives and in this world. And Christ is concerned about the eternal things. What are you concerned by? The temporary things or the eternal? I'm reminded of a quote by Sir Christopher Wren. He said this, architecture aims at eternity. He was the architect who designed the beautiful St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He said architecture aims at eternity. I've never met an architect, I've never met a designer or a builder, who builds their things to only last for a few days. No, every single one of them said, I'm going to build this to last as long as it possibly can. And some who are bu- building beautiful buildings, they'd say, I want it to last even unto eternity. They're aiming that it's going to last as long as they can. I have met, though, many Christians who are building their lives on the temporary thing. They're neglecting to build their lives for eternity. They're no longer aiming for eternity. They're aiming for the things of this world. And by aiming for the things of this world, they've gotten their eyes off Christ, and they become exhausted in their Christian walk. They begin to faint. In modern times, the oldest living lady was a French lady. She lived to 122 years old. In the Bible, Methuselah lived to 969 years old, pretty old. You may live to 30, 60, 70, 80, maybe even between 122 and 969 years old. But no matter how long you live on this earth, eternity is longer. Live now for eternity. Live now for the things that we cannot see. Live now for the eternal things. Neglect the things of this world and say, I'm going to live now for my eternal home, for my eternal Lord, for the things that I cannot see, for the souls of men that I cannot see, that God will bring into eternity. What a wonderful thing it would be to see if each of us truly got that eternal focus. Where our eyes were... Fixed on eternal things, and we get our eyes off the things of this world. What a transforming that thing that would be in this town, in the United Kingdom, in this country, countries around the world, in your individual life. Get your eyes focused on eternal things. Let's go to end a word of prayer, and we'll turn over to Pastor.